You're listening to Mystery Still Unsolved, a podcast where we discuss unsolved mysteries both past and present. I'm your host, Rochelle. Today, we will discuss the case of Amber Hagerman. Welcome back to Mystery Still Unsolved. Um, it's our 40th episode. Isn't that crazy? We are getting so close to hitting our one-year mark. I released my first episode in mid-July of last year, so we really are getting so close. I am incredibly happy to be back here with all of you. If you had a chance to join me last week during our live watch party on Cinco de Mayo, Thank you so much for coming. Um, We had a few who kind of like popped in and out for 20 to 30 minutes or so. And then we had a diehard fan, shout out to Becky, you know who you are, who was with me the entire time. Uh, My plan was to post the video so that you all could watch it after the fact. And actually right now it is still up. Um, But let me know because immediately after I posted it, like seconds after I posted it, I got a notification from Instagram, (laughs) big brother Instagram, saying that it had been flagged for like copyright issues and they were going to review it. Um, So like I said, so far it's still up. If you want to go watch the film, just push play on the film and push play on me. And now's your chance to do it because I literally don't know what they're going to decide to do. So we'll see what happens. Um, It's always fun to try something different. I honestly don't know if I'm ever going to do another watch party. You can't film the film because you'll get flagged. And I literally just like turned the camera to the, to the TV, like maybe one time for like two seconds. Um, But I also know that people don't want to like stare at my dumb face for 90 minutes. Um, And then I was worried like, okay, I don't want to talk too much, but I don't want to not talk enough. So it was this whole thing. Uh, More people enjoyed watching Brian's reaction to watching the movie more than mine with one viewer even writing, quote, tell your husband to blink. (laughs) I mean, I like scary movies and Brian hates them. So I have to agree. It's probably more entertaining to watch him watch a scary movie over me. So in the end, I filmed both of our reactions. So maybe next time I'll just do stories. When it comes to scary movies, you can sort of always tell when a scary part is coming because like the music changes, it gets very ominous. So maybe stories next time is going to be a better bet. Uh, You live and you learn. And it was still fun to hang out with all of you who did come. So I appreciate you. If you don't know what the heck I'm talking about, then hop on over to our Instagram page at Mystery Still Unsolved. There you will find photos of each case that we've discussed thus far. You can share your thoughts, your theories, your opinions, and comments. You can slide into my DMs and make a case suggestion. I have been able to write so many incredible episodes with your help. Um, After you submit a suggestion, it will take a while to hear the episode because you guys have helped me plan on my episodes like 
well into July. And plus, I personally just really like to do my research and marinate on cases for a couple of months so that I can do the victim's justice. So if you have sent me a suggestion and you haven't heard your story yet, hang in there. If you think I've forgotten about your suggestion, I assure you that I have not. Today, we are going to talk about Amber Hagerman. Yep, that Amber. And if you're listening to this episode and you think you don't know which Amber I'm talking about, I assure you that you do. You might just not know that you do. Amber Hagerman's family fought for years to create and pass legislation that would aid in the search and rescue of minors across the nation. You might know their results by the name Amber Alert. Can you even imagine a time without Amber Alerts? I hope one day we don't have to use them as much, but in the meantime, they are such a great resource to get communities involved in the rescue of abducted children. Amber Alerts have been very effective in quickly and safely reuniting kidnapped babies and children with their loved ones, but not everyone sees it as such a great resource, and I'm not just talking about convicted child abductors. We're going to get talk more about this in a little bit, but first, I want you to know Amber's story. Before I begin, I want to credit Let's Go to Court. I've spoken about them before on my podcast because I absolutely adore them. If you want even more incredible information regarding this case, I would highly recommend heading over there and listening to their incredible podcast. I cannot sing their praises enough. They are incredible, and this episode would not have been possible without their hard work. Um, Let's begin. Eight minutes. That's all the time it took for the lives of the Hagerman family to change forever. Eight minutes. On Saturday, January 12, 1996, Amber Nine and her five-year-old brother Ricky, along with their mother, had stopped by their grandmother's home in Arlington, Texas. Their grandmother and mother watched from the front porch as the two children played nicely in the front yard. Their grandpa was in the driveway working on his car. Soon, the two children grew bored. The two children began to explore the garage where they found two bicycles, and to their delight, the bikes were just their size. They begged their mother and grandmother to allow them to ride these new discovered bikes around the neighborhood. Grandma says... Yes, but only once around the block, then come straight back. So the two rode their bikes to the end of the street and turned. Around one more corner, there was a vacant grocery store. I believe it had been called like a win. I think it was like a Winn-Dixie or something. The two children decided that they would use the parking lot of the grocery store to turn their bikes around, and then they'd head back to their grandma's. When they entered the parking lot, they spotted a large ramp perfect for testing out bike tricks. The two children went down the ramp a few times before Amber's brother decided he was ready to head back to grandma's. Amber wanted to give it one more go, but she wouldn't be long, so she just told her brother Ricky to start heading back and she would catch up with him. I mean, Amber was nine. Surely she'd be able to catch up with her little brother. Only Amber never did catch up to Ricky. In fact, Ricky made it all the way back to their grandmother's house, and Amber had never caught up. When their grandmother and mother noticed this, they asked Ricky, Hey, where's your sister? Only Ricky didn't know. He could only say, She didn't come back with me. I don't know where Sissy is. 
the women ran the short few blocks to the grocery store. Meanwhile, their grandpa hopped into the car that he'd been tinkering on and he drove straight there. When he arrived at the store, he was surprised because there was a police officer already in the parking lot. The police officer shared with Amber's grandmother that he was responding to a call from a neighbor who had called in claiming to have heard a young girl scream. When that neighbor looked out his window, he witnessed a man carrying a young girl and placing her into a pickup truck. When the officer arrived, all he found was the bike. No little girl and no pickup truck. Reminder, only eight minutes had passed from the moment Amber left her grandmother's home to the time the 911 call was placed. Doesn't that just blow your minds how quickly these sickos are able to accomplish their horrible tasks? All right, many of you know that I hate to discuss children cases. Um, some of you know that um, because I've spoken about it in past episodes, my younger brother was kidnapped when I was a kid. So talking about this type of story, this type of case uh, specifically is very triggering for me. But I really felt compelled to cover this case this week because as many of you know, the weather is warming up. Children are playing outside more and perhaps are not as monitored as they are during the winter months. And I don't share this case to scare you. I'm not attempting to use fear mongering techniques or make you feel guilty if you're more of a free range parent. We do need to let our children be kids and have fun. We can't lock them up in our houses to keep them safe because then nothing will ever happen to them, like nothing good and nothing bad. But I know a lot of people who think that something like this could never happen to them. Oh, no, not my family. Oh, not in my neighborhood, not in my city, not in my state. That sort of thing just doesn't happen here. But I'm letting you know right now, this sort of thing happens everywhere. It's not just in the crime-ridden cities. Just because your neighborhood is safe doesn't mean that an unsafe person isn't driving through it. Do you know what I mean? My mom watched my brother and I like a hawk. We were extremely sheltered as kids because she was terrified that we would get kidnapped. And guess what? Even with all of her efforts, my brother still was. If you haven't listened to me talk about this before and you're wondering if my brother is okay, he is alive. He was found four hours later in Pennsylvania after being abducted from upstate New York. So we are lucky in that way. We were lucky in that way. There isn't a day that goes by that I don't think about what might have been. But yes, this sort of thing can happen. And when it happens, it's quick. It happens like that. This case, Amber Hagerman's case, eight minutes. But other people, even less than that. So please, please, please just be mindful and hyper vigilant as the weather begins to warm up in your area. The neighbor that called the police didn't have much information to give. He told the police and the family that he heard a scream. He looked out and he had seen a black pickup truck. He also saw a man carrying a crying child and then he shoved that crying child into his car and drove off. Amber's picture was plastered 
everywhere. Her parents pled on news stations to the kidnapper to please return their daughter home to them. The media interviewed the neighbor, and he still didn't have new information. He was quoted as saying, quote, I wish I had known more. I wish I had done more. I did what I thought was all I could do, end quote. And I know that some will argue that he could have done so much more. I mean, there are people that think that. And, and honestly, when I first read that, that's what I thought too. But honestly, how many times do we see a crying child get carried away and we just assume that it's a parent dealing with an unruly kid who doesn't want to stop playing? I know I'm guilty of those assumptions. I mean, obviously it didn't look like that to the witness because he felt compelled to call the police. Yeah, I I mean, I'm just thinking about my own personal experience. My yard, my backyard is surrounded by three other yards. It backs up to three other yards. So it's kind of like an echo chamber and there's a lot of kids in my neighborhood and I've sort of gotten used to hearing like the occasional cry, the occasional whine, the occasional shriek of a child and I just assume that it's fine. I mean, sometimes I look at my window if it's persistent, but other times I don't. I make the assumption that it's probably fine, but what if it wasn't? I would have to live with the fact that I made the decision the best decision based on the information that I had at the time. So for those who try to demonize this witness or accuse him of not doing enough or tell him what they would have done, listen, he wasn't the kidnapper, okay? Let's not demonize him. Let's refocus and let's put that anger on the real target. The police did more interviews with this man to try to get enough info to like get a sketch, but the witness just really hadn't been able to get a good look and it all happened so fast. Uh, He was able to tell police that he believed that the man was most likely white or possibly a very, very light skinned Hispanic person. The truck was either black or like a very, very dark charcoal gray color, or maybe it was dark blue. He couldn't really remember. The man was not very big, but he was really strong and he moved super fast. And that was it. That's all the information that he could give. The police believed that this was a stranger abduction, which is actually quite rare. In the United States, 750,000 children are abducted every year. Of those 750,000 children, the vast majority end up being either runaways or family abductions. Only about 100 stranger abductions are reported each year, so a super small percentage, but they are the most troubling. Of stranger abductions, 9 out of 10 are female children. Half of those children are sexually assaulted, and 3 out of 4 are killed within 3 hours after their abduction. Obviously, because of what I've just told you, after a stranger abduction occurs, every minute is critical because there is an extremely limited window in being able to find the the child and find them alive. Uh, The truck driven by the abductor had been seen by multiple witnesses at a laundromat parking lot nearby. With this information, police believed that Amber's abduction had been completely a crime of opportunity committed by someone who had the worst of intentions. 
They said that the man likely watched the children, you know, Ricky and Amber, go into the parking lot together. He watched them play. And then when Ricky left and Amber was alone, he took his chance. This was front page news across the state of Texas. Police were hopeful that another witness would emerge, possibly at a different location, or maybe somebody had seen a child banging on a window of a car, um, but nobody came forward. Police reached out to the FBI, who created a special task force just for Amber. Um, Coincidentally, news stations had a ton of footage of Amber because they had actually been preparing a public interest story based on Donna, Amber's mother. Uh, Donna, it was going to be like a story based on Donna's plight to get off welfare and like how hard she was working to be able to provide for herself. Amber began to be referred to as Arlington's child. As you might have guessed, this story does not end happily. Four days after Amber's abduction, a man walking his dog spotted Amber's naked body in a creek bed near an apartment complex in North Arlington. Investigators didn't stop searching for the killer. The FBI released a behavioral profile hoping someone would recognize him. The profile stated that the man would be at least 25 years old. He most likely lived or worked near where the body was dumped. Amber had been alive for two full days before she had been murdered. So this likely meant that there was a crime scene somewhere with more evidence, possibly in the Dallas area. Police theorized that something had triggered this man into doing this, as they didn't believe it was planned. I mean, it was Amber's grandmother's house, so it's not like he had been following her. There was no pattern. Uh, They mentioned perhaps he had experienced an issue at work or a domestic dispute, a breakup, a custody battle, or maybe even a divorce, something along those lines. They also believed that the man would have recently undergone some attempt at changing his appearance in like the last couple of days, you know, maybe dyeing his hair, getting a piercing, getting a tattoo, growing facial hair, hiding a tattoo. Uh, So... Basically, these were just clues for people to look for in the people that they knew, people in their social circles. 5,000 leads came in after this profile was released, and police spent 18 months following up on each and every single one of those leads. But unfortunately, all of these leads led nowhere. They just kept hitting dead end after dead end. In 1977... This case, while it remains unsolved, the task force was disbanded. There was just nothing else that they could do. The active investigation was no longer in progress. This case remains unsolved. After all this time, they have not discovered who kidnapped and murdered Amber Hagerman. Amber's grandmother says that the police say that they are still looking into the case from time to time, but she knows that even though they're doing their best There really just isn't much to go on. They've told her that they only have a few select fibers to work with. Her grandmother says that she still holds on to a little bit of hope, and she hopes that the killer is going to be reprehended in her lifetime. How does this sort of thing happen? 
it must be incredibly difficult to live without the closure. I mean, not that the closure would bring Amber back, but I don't know. The pain that that family feels is unimaginable. We cannot even possibly begin to try to relate to what they're going through. Um, as of this month, uh, it's been a little over 23 years and there's still no closer to finding the man that did this than they were seconds after Amber went missing. One Dallas man, um, in 1999 began asking a question that many people across the nation had been asking. He was just more vocal about it, I guess. Um, he asked in these types of cases, when every second, every minute matters, why can't we create a system where the police and media work together to spread out valuable information within the community to help save these kids, to give them a chance? He likened something with the same urgency that you would see with like a weather warning for like an earthquake or a tornado or like a really bad storm. Thus, the Amber Alert was created. At first, it was just in the Dallas area. Um, it was formerly known as the Dallas Amber Plan. Um, under the plan, the police shared important information with residents, including a physical description of the individuals involved, as well as a car. AMBER is an acronym, but it really is named after AMBER Hagerman. The acronym is America's Missing Broadcast Emergency Response. Just six months after the Dallas AMBER plan was put into effect, it was proven just how vital it was in rescuing children. Uh, there was a babysitter, and unbeknownst to the people who had hired her, um, she had a super bad drug problem, and she disappeared with their eight-week-old baby. And this babysitter, with the assistance of the Dallas Amber Plan, was arrested within 90 minutes. Someone who got the alert saw the car with the matching driver's license. Uh, they called the police. And the child would return to the, her parents unharmed. With Dallas proving that it worked and that it was pretty easy to like initiate in your own city, other cities began to follow suit. By 2002, Texas was the first state to institute a statewide Amber Alert. That same year, Washington, their interests were piqued, and they began working on establishing a federal program that would connect all 50 states. The Hagermans spoke in front of Congress, and they helped in getting this legislation passed. In 2013, you might remember, you started to get these Amber Alerts on your phone. When they first launched the alerts on the phone, there was an alert that went off at 4 a.m. And this is where I'm going to circle back to those people who, you know, they don't really love Amber Alerts. Um, I guess people were so pissed that they'd been woken up um, that there was a huge worry that the Amber Alerts would no longer be effective because of the concern that people would turn the alerts off. I don't understand these people. I mean, trust me, I love to sleep. Everybody knows that I love to sleep. And if you wake me up from my sleep, I'm going to be a real beast to you. But I've never 
been awoken in the middle of the night and been pissed about an Amber Alert. I mean, I've been pissed about the guy who kidnapped the child, but not about receiving the Amber Alert. Someone's mom is having the worst night of her life, not knowing if they're ever going to see their child again. And some people have the audacity to be worried about their beauty sleep. Excuse me, sir slash madame, but F off. I just hope that they never have to be reliant on it for someone that they love. Where's the compassion, people? Give me a freaking break. In the beginning, every city and state had their own regulations on what constituted issuing an Amber Alert. A worry was that if too many Amber Alerts were being sent out, people would become desensitized to the alarm, um, desensitized to the alerts, and start paying them no attention. Now that it's at the federal level, there are certain requirements that must be met in order to issue an Amber Alert. Here are the four requirements. One, law enforcement must confirm that an actual abduction has taken place. Two, child must be at risk of injury or death. Three, sufficient description of child, abductor, or vehicle is readily available. And four, the child must be a minor. In recent years, other countries have also adopted versions of the Amber Alert. Amber Hagerman's family has never given up hope that Amber will get justice. They have been instrumental in getting that legislation passed as well as getting the National Sexual Registry passed. Um, So now you can access who the sexual predators are in your area and from coast to coast. They really are, the Hagermans, they really are a great family. They really felt that this Amber Alert system has been a great legacy that they feel honored um, to, to have Amber's name remembered in this way. This resource has saved countless lives and it has brought thousands of people to justice. I think it's absolutely incredible when people can take a terrible tragedy and turn it into something positive. The Hagermans are very strong, and I hope that they will get the answers that they deserve soon. This is the origin of the Amber Alert system, and to this day, her case remains open and unsolved. I do wonder... um, If this man, the man who, I mean, this disgusting person who murdered Amber is either dead or in prison for something else. Because this guy, this wasn't his first time. I mean, he was able to evade police. He was able to do it so quickly, um, abduct Amber so quickly. He, there, there was never a crime scene that was uncovered. So he must have done a good job at concealing it. Uh, There was no evidence that was able to be collected. You'd think that after all this time, you know, like there's all these cases that happened in the 70s and the 80s and the 90s. And now through DNA evidence, we're able to finally, after decades, learn who these monsters are. And you would have thought that if there had been any DNA evidence, that it would have given us something. But it seems like he left none behind. 
And that's not just beginner's luck. You know what I mean? Like that comes from having experience on how to dispose of evidence. So you know that he had either done it before or that he has done it again since. I mean, you can't just do something like that and then just like stop cold turkey. These kind of people, they spiral, they escalate, they get sloppy and they get caught, but he hasn't yet. Everyone, thank you so much for joining me this week. This was a rough one. So thanks so much for sticking it out and allowing me to share Amber Hagerman's story with you. Please visit the Instagram at Mystery Salon Solved and share with me your thoughts, your theories, your opinions, your comments on this case. Visit our website at www.mysterystillunsolved.com. But if you want to know the best way to support this podcast, tell your true crime-loving friends and family about it. It's free. It only takes a few seconds, but it helps me immensely. I love you guys. I will see you next week when together we'll discover, did someone ever place a useful tip? Has justice prevailed? Or is the mystery still unsolved?